We're going to read the passage in a second. just want to point something out I kind of forgot to mention. On the, uh, the 3C Life Weekly here on the bulletin, uh, the sermon title says, Stand Tall, Suffer, and Keep the Faith. It says that on the inside as well in the study notes. Uh, I've sort of retitled it, Suffer with Boldness. Nothing fancy to it, uh, but, but I want to sort of shift what I'm talking about uh, a bit. So I've, I've titled today, Suffer with Boldness, because that's the message for Timothy. Let's go ahead and read. 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 14. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It was July of 325 A.D., And the fires of persecution had just barely cooled off. And there was this gathering of 318 pastors and theologians who convened in this small town called Nicaea to settle some important doctrinal matters. It was the first such large gathering since the apostles in the New Testament had gathered in 325 A.D. These 300 plus men that gathered were strong and bold. Men whose spiritual leadership and their commitment to Christ had cost them personally and had cost them very dearly. They had been through things that none of us could imagine enduring in this country in which we live. They had endured things that most of us couldn't imagine having to endure for the sake of following Christ. These were men who were warriors. Some of them had scars from being lashed and whipped, and beaten. One of them was missing an eye. Another had had both hands mangled and disfigured from being burned by by red-hot irons. A few of them walked with a limp. One preacher estimated that out of the 300-plus assembled there, fewer than about a dozen had not been persecuted or tortured in some way for their Christian faith. These men who gathered were warriors. During the first century, a disciple of the Apostle John named Polycarp was sentenced to be burned at the stake for refusing to burn incense in the name of the Roman emperor. Tradition has it that the flames didn't kill him, so he was stabbed to death. In the 14th century, John Wycliffe was a theologian who translated the scriptures into English, and that was considered heresy at the time. So he and his followers were persecuted for trying to get the scriptures into the hands of the people. William Tyndale, the same thing, translated the scriptures into English, and he was tied to a stake, choked to death, and for good measure, 
His body burned to show others, to be an example to others, what would happen if they were part of a movement to get the Scriptures into the hands of the people. In 1955 and 6, a famous young missionary named Jim Elliott and four of his colleagues stepped boldly into the far-off jungles of Ecuador to make contact with natives who hadn't heard the gospel. They were trying to build a relationship with them by dropping supplies from a plane. They had developed this cool method of, of circling the plane and using the centrifugal force to steady the box of supplies so the natives could come and receive it from them as gifts from the missionaries to them. They even met and befriended one of the natives. They called him George. They became a friend with George. Even to the point where they got him to ride in their plane. So they were encouraged and they thought, this is it. This is our inn. In January of 56, soon after their initial efforts seemed so encouraging, and they were ready on a particular day to visit the village, having, having prayed up being ready for that day, all five of them slaughtered. In his journal, Jim Elliott wrote this famous phrase, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The many men and women who gave their lives so that we could know Christ were warriors. Men and women willing to suffer with boldness. Can you imagine the prayers of those kinds of people going into ministry with, with boldness? You think they were worried about their bunions? About their 401ks? Their prayer was so that people would know the gospel so that they could maintain the faith given to them, fan the flame of the gift of the gospel. An early church father named Tertullian once said very famously, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Friends, you sit here today in worship. You sit here to worship Jesus Christ today because countless faithful believers whose names you will never know counted their personal comforts as loss compared to the greatness of you knowing Christ as Savior. You sit here today in worship because countless men and women before you considered the comforts of this world as rubbish compared to the joy of being part of the work of God to make His life in Jesus Christ known to others. They went through pain. They went through suffering. Many of them to death so that the Word of God could be read by us. So that the person of Jesus Christ could be worshipped by us. That is Christ-like ministry. 
That is ministry that does what the gospel intends to do. That is ministry that is empowered by the Spirit of God to do what Christ told us to do when he left, which is, don't forget, don't forget. He said this, don't forget, make disciples. That is ministry that will make disciples. And the Apostle Paul writes his young protege, Timothy, so that he could know that kind of powerful ministry, that fruitful kind of ministry that makes disciples. Paul wanted Timothy to carry out gospel ministry that would spread over the face of the whole earth. And we sit here today because of that gospel ministry. And he knew, Paul knew, that to do so for Timothy would require uh, some confidence and some strength, some boldness to suffer that, that he didn't really have. He was kind of a timid guy. And he knew that that for Timothy to do fruitful ministry that makes disciples would require Timothy to to have hard conversations, to go to hard places, to say hard things people around him wouldn't like hearing. And friends, make no mistake, you don't have to live in 3rd, 4th century Rome to experience the hardships of ministry. In fact, to follow Christ is to be in ministry. Don't listen to the lie of the deceiver. It's not for somebody else. To follow Christ is to be in ministry. To live a Christ-like ministry of sharing the good news today requires hard things of you. The more I read the Scripture, the more I have my relationship with God deepen. I'm convinced that faithful ministry will always require far more than you ever knew going in. Because, Because listen, Listen, straight up, comfortable American Christians, straight up. If you suffer nothing, then you are in ministry for you. If you suffer nothing, you are in ministry to yourself alone. Paul's writing Timothy to say, if, you, if you're not in ministry that fans the flame of the gospel in people's lives, that, that passes the baton to others, that makes disciples who make disciples, then you are not in Christ-like ministry because that's the ministry Christ gave to us. That's the ministry that Christ performed for us that we could know him. That's what we replicate. <laughs> not all these other silly things, not these earthly measures of what successful ministry looks like. We're going to have thousands of people here in this building. And if it's not filled with the Spirit of God and making disciples, it's a waste of everybody's time. Only if it reflects Christ-like ministry that replicates the life of Christ in others is it faithful ministry. So in this, in this book that we're studying for these 12 weeks, we want to continue to learn together what, what Christ-like ministry that fans the flames of the gospel looks like. And what we'll we'll see today is a hard truth, but it's a Jesus truth. It's a a Bible truth. It's It's a demonstrated to us by Christ truth that to carry on faithful ministry means to suffer, to suffer with boldness. So let's see where we get this and how Paul teaches Timothy about this. Look at verse 8 there in 2 Timothy, the first chapter, verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed... Of the testimony about our Lord. He says, therefore, press pause. We're going to spend a few minutes here on this one word. Yes, I know. This one word, therefore, because whenever we see that, it's a trigger word for us. We've got to ask what it's there for. And so we're going to press pause 
and catch us up to speed from where we come last week so that we can use this as a launching pad to talk about verses 8 and following. Look back at verses 6 and 7. We're going to find out what the therefore is therefore. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. What reason? For the reason that Timothy had a sincere faith. He was the real deal. The genuine article. Remember from last week, we looked at how some of Timothy was, was timid and, and not as confident like Paul was. So Paul is writing him to encourage him to build him up for faithful ministry. And, and Paul at this time, as he writes this, was in a jail cell, a Roman jail cell. And it's a kind of jail cell where you're, you're actually underground. There was one small hole through which they gave them uh, some supplies and food. And it was dark, it was dank, it was smelly, it was disgusting. They were in chains underground in this tiny little uh, prison. And Paul's writing Timothy. And it may be the end of his time. So he's writing with urgency. He's writing to encourage him. He's saying, this is my swan song. And if you don't carry on the ministry, if you don't do this, Timothy, then my work in you is in vain. You've got to fan the flame, he says. So he's encouraging him. And he reminds Timothy, if you're going to do this, don't forget. He reminds them that he has a sincere faith. He saw it in Timothy. So he says, verse 6, for this reason, in other words, because you have sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Keep the fire burning. Don't give up the cause. Throw fuel on these flames. So fan the flame which is in you, he says, through the laying on of my hands. We're going to see this time and again in Timothy. This faith is passed on. It's, it's from God, but it's given to us by the work of God in people. So it's given to us by God, from God, through people. God gets all the glory. The Spirit makes it happen. We are just vessels, Scripture says. But this is going to happen all the time in Timothy. Paul's going to say, don't forget you didn't get this by yourself. You didn't manufacture this. This came from Jesus himself. We'll see that a couple times later on. So he says, fan the flame which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul confirmed the presence of God in Timothy. And so here's where we are in verses 6 and 7. Paul's finishing up his argument at the beginning here that he's been making in the first few verses. That faith is a gift given to us by God through people. And he says that, Timothy, your faith, your faith is not your own. It was given to you by God through people. So Paul is saying, I want to use that heritage of faith. I want to remind you of that. He's using that heritage of faith in Timothy to build the case in the letter that Timothy must do right by his own heritage. Let me say that again because this is the whole book. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Faith is a gift given to us by God through people. And so, so that heritage of faith is something that you and I are called to do right by. Which is to say, when we, when we do right by those who came before, who deposited in us, we are doing right ultimately and most importantly for the one that started it all in the first place, who, who gave us the example of Christ-like ministry. So, so Paul is saying, I, I, I'm going to be gone soon. You have, to tear, you have to turn this ministry into something greater to fan the flame. Do not squander this gift, he says. Don't squander this gift. But, but Paul, at the same time, he knows that Timothy is intimidated that he is uh, not a confident guy like Paul seemed to be. And, uh, and so he says to Timothy, 
Listen, I know you're intimidated. Anybody here? Think about that ministry. Think about what we're talking about, which was ultimately a ministry that, that means that God gives it to us to carry out for others. Anybody think, I'm not sure how that all works. <laughs> I'm not sure how, how little old me. I mean, I, I know what I can do, but I, I don't think I can do. I mean, anybody feel like that? when We talk about these big ideas. <laughs> so did Timothy. And so Paul writes him. He writes him to say, be bold. But that boldness is empowered by God in you. And so you can be scared a little bit here and there, but, but, but don't, don't give in to that fear. Verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The gospel message didn't get to you by people being fearful. It got to you by the Spirit's work to make people before you bold. And that powerful work continues by means of his method of love. And you can do this, Paul says, because you've got the Spirit of God in you. So so moving forward to verse 8, Paul is saying, therefore, in other words, because someone was faithful so you can be faithful, therefore, do not be ashamed. Be bold. Do not fear. I mean, how do you think you got here in the first place? Because others were bold. Do not be ashamed, he says, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord by how God's worked in you. Whatever that is, know it. Be aware of it so you can verbalize that testimony to others. So you can live that out and tell about the work of God in your life. Do you know? Do you know what your testimony is? Can, can, can you encapsulate the work of God in your life to bring you to a place of saving knowledge in Him so that when you, when you talk about the work of God in your lives to others, they can hear it. Don't be ashamed about that. Don't you dare be ashamed about what that looks like in your life, Paul is saying. That heritage of faith that got you here, even how it's worked in your own life, whatever that story is to get you here is a story of redemption. And it's a story of power. Don't be ashamed of that, he says. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't even be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Then he says this, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We see here in verse 8, something to avoid and something to pursue. Avoid shame and fear for the name of Jesus Christ. Reject that because fear is a fear of you being fruitful by your own power or, or not being able to be involved in the work of God. But I'm telling you, Timothy, your fruit is born from the power of God and message of the gospel. So don't give in to fear. And the question arises, well, then how do I learn to reject that fear? Because I know that fear. I know my limitations. I, I know that the testimony that sometimes I'm ashamed of doesn't seem to carry the weight and the power that I feel like others does. How do I, how do I fight off that fear and that shame in a sense? It's kind of a funny answer, but the answer is this. Share in suffering. Reject that and pursue sharing in the suffering of Christ. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of Because when you do that, you're modeling what Christ did for you. So avoid fear and be bold to share in suffering. How's that for an encouraging message? Hey guys, when you leave today, Go share in suffering. That's gospel ministry. That's Jesus-like ministry. That's men and women taking the gospel message as more important than one's own comfort 
And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, this isn't, this isn't a bad thing. In fact, it's a gift. It's a gift and a privilege for you to do ministry that works like Jesus' ministry, that reflects his selflessness for us. Dr. Paul Brand was a famous doctor. He worked in India with lepers for, for many years. And Dr. Paul Brand uh, said that pain and suffering, he said, suffering is the gift, <laughs> a gift that nobody wants. I don't think Paul is saying, listen, enjoy suffering, like it. I don't think he's saying that. What he's saying is, when you engage in ministry that is like Jesus, you will share in his suffering. Because the Christian life of following Jesus, the Christian life of being a disciple, is ministry. It is ministry that reflects Jesus' ministry to us. So verse 8 is sort of the, the, the... most important verse that sets the tone for what we're about to say here in verses 9 to 12. Look there briefly for a little bit. This is a typical Paul sentence, verses 9 through 12 here. He explains a lot more about verse 8. And he says this, verse 9, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, he's talking about God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. This, this is calling that we have here is God's calling. It's a holy calling. It's not your earthly calling. It's not your selfish calling. It's not your calling to retirement or ease or comfort. It's a calling that is different, set apart, holy because it's for God and it's empowered by God. Holy because, keep reading, it is not because of your works, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. The ministry he's called us to is something given to us by God himself. This isn't me telling you, listen, go out and be about the gospel. This is God saying, this is what I did for you so that you can do that. That's the calling, just like he had. He gave it to us before the ages began, it says. And this is a calling to suffer with boldness for the movement of the gospel. And it was made known by Jesus' life and example. Verse 10, it says, It's now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, he killed death by death, he suffered to defeat death, and in so doing, he brought life, it says, life and immortality to light. Life is the fruit of his death. And the means of this, he says, keep reading, is through the gospel. Think about this for a second. Jesus, in a sense, uh, did not invent the gospel. The gospel became real in him as a fully human and fully God man. The gospel became real to us in him, but he didn't invent the gospel. Jesus was himself a carrier of the good news that came from eternity past in the mind and heart of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not like he suddenly thought about it when he was here. And and then people came along after him and said, well, I think this is called the good news. Let's put that name on it. It was carried to us by Jesus himself. It was brought to us through the gospel, through the death of Jesus. And he says, Paul says in verses 11 and 12, he says, just like Jesus did that to me and for me, I do that with my life for others. He says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Why? For the gospel, it says. 
And then he brings us back to that not fun part of this. He says, which is why? Which is why I suffer as I do? Which is why I suffer as I do. Because I have a ministry that looks like Jesus' ministry to me by which he suffered so that I could know him. And and that's what I'm going to do for you, Timothy, for those who I can every moment that I have until I'm dead, he says. It's why I suffer as I do. And Timothy knew about his sufferings. He was with him for some of those sufferings. Paul is saying, you know how I have worked my whole life to do whatever I can so that others would know Jesus. I've been whipped. I've been beat. I've been uh, mocked. I've been in discomfort. I've been without resources. I've had no money. I've been in chains. I'm in chains now. He, He says, you know how I carried on Christ like ministry so that you could know Christ yourself. And he says, this is why I am not ashamed. Keep reading here. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. My boldness comes, listen to this, my boldness comes from knowing that my ministry is a ministry given to me by Christ. You can't give it to me. I can't give it to you. The ministry that reflects God's heart to take the gospel to other people, to the ends of the earth, is a Christ-like ministry. And the boldness comes from the ministry being given to us with the full weight and authority of an eternal, perfect God who created all that is. So, so don't, don't sit around and listen to the evil one saying, you can't do anything. You're really not very good at this. You don't have the boldness to do this. <laughs> don't listen to that. Paul is saying, God gave this to you. And he will empower it. When you model ministry that looks like Christ. He says, I am convinced that if he gave it to us, <laughs> then he is going to guard until that day. The one who died and rose again for me and demonstrated that ministry to me is able also to guard until the day he comes back what has been, and I love this phrase, what has been entrusted, what has been given to me in sacred trust. If Christ through his life and death and resurrection, if he can suffer so that I can live, Paul says, then he can give me boldness when I need it to keep faithful to that work that he himself has given to me. He's saying, friends, this precious gift of the message of the gospel of new life, of redemption, is a trust handed to you by Jesus himself. So keep it up. Step boldly into that ministry. Keep up the good work. Carry the baton. Fan the flame. He says, verse 13, keep keep it up. Follow the pattern. You've seen it in me. Replicate it in others. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. What I have done, you do. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Whatever I've done insofar as what I've done and what I've said is true and faithful and, and, and looks like Christ and is loving like Christ. Carry it on. And here's how you do it. Verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He sums up his argument here in 13 and 14. He says, you have God in you. You have God in you to embolden your ministry. So guard that good deposit. It's, it's a deposit. It's something that was given and it was put into the account of your life. 
this faith that you know. You didn't manufacture it. Oh, sure, you said yes. You came down the aisle. You said, Jesus, I repent. I confess. I, I want to be baptized into a life of, of you instead of me, of life instead of death. Yes, you chose that, but you didn't choose it by yourself. Countless people before you. Ultimately, Jesus himself made that message come to you. Do you see how sacred and important the gospel message is? It's a deposit. It's a sacred trust. It's something put into the account of your life so that it can have a return. Don't forget that. Don't forget that, Paul says. So the question for us is, <laughs> are you willing to suffer with boldness if that's what it means to live up to that sacred trust? Hear me. Ask yourself. This isn't rhetorical. Don't put this into that part of your life where you have those defenses around it and you say, oh, that's a nice thought. Isn't that a pleasant thought? This is not a rhetorical question. Are you willing to suffer with boldness like Christ to live up to the sacred trust. The sacred trust by which you know Jesus yourself. That's the message. Paul insists that Timothy continues to hear so that his ministry will look like Christ's and he will suffer with boldness. In ancient Rome... In ancient Rome, tens of thousands would gather in the Colosseum to watch as Christians were torn apart limb from limb by wild animals. And there was a man recently who visited that famous landmark there in Rome, the Colosseum. And as he was standing there, he thought about what had happened what had happened in that arena many hundreds and hundreds of years before and the intense suffering of Christians who had come before him. And he wrote about that experience and he said this, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where he sits for whom they gladly died. And I thought to myself, would I, could I die for him to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? This is not a rhetorical question. What are you doing to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? This isn't in that category of, oh, that's a lovely thought for the professional Christians. This is a, if you follow Christ, you're in ministry kind of question. What are you doing to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? Please do not make the tragic mistake of thinking this is a rhetorical question. Answer this question as if it matters because you sit here to worship Jesus because somebody else cared enough to answer that question. Not as some pleasant thought for somebody else, but they said, I will do whatever it takes so that someone else will know Jesus like I do. Because I love Him and He was motivated to sacrifice and suffer for me. Somebody answered that question for you as if it mattered. And for you, 
to sit in these pleasant seats and be comfortable for hours on end and it make no change in your life is to squander the good deposit. Straight up. But Paul knows that if you answer that question as if it matters, if you look at your life and you, you think about what you have and resources and, and who you are and what your talents are and what God's gifted you to do, if you, if you look at that with intention, you say, I'm going to take this instead of it being about me, I'm going to make it about the kingdom. If you're doing that, if you're stepping into Christ-like ministry that suffers, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Paul is telling Timothy, don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't be surprised. When if you're doing ministry that looks like Jesus, that looks like the ministry that I gave to you, don't be surprised when you go into that ministry, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you dearly. Far more than you ever thought it might. If you're going to be fruitful for the cause of the gospel in the world. Friends, to fan the flame of the gospel is not going to be easy. It's going to be costly. Remember Jim Elliott, we talked about earlier, Jim Elliott and his four friends who died to reach a tribe in Ecuador. When they first made contact with that man they called George, they were encouraged. They thought, oh, this, is, this is what God's given us to, 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 to take the gospel into this, this tribe where they don't even know Jesus. He was the only one they had met. And George likewise seemed happy to to know them and build a relationship with them. Turns out this George guy was actually leading them on. George reported back to his tribe that these five missionaries had evil intentions. And so when Elliot and his five friends were, were set on that day to meet the rest of the tribe, thinking the whole time, God has given us this, this opportunity How awesome is this? He's using us. The tables were turned and they were slaughtered. Which seems like a tragedy. And and it is. It is a tragedy. These five men dying without much of a sense of how God would would work through their ministry and be fruitful. It's a tragedy. But it at the same time became like all ministry that Jesus uses for his cause, it became a triumph that looked like Christ. (laughs) Do you know that George later repented of his lie and his own evil intent? And he became the first believer in that tribe. George led dozens and dozens of tribes, men and women, to Christ. This man who had deceived to kill became the man who brought the gospel to his friends. And these five missionaries, these young missionaries recently out of college, no idea how God was going to use them, but he used their lives with power to take the gospel to others, to duplicate the suffering that Jesus boldly took on for us in themselves, for others, 
He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. To fan the flame of the gospel in one's, in one's life is it's costly. It is costly. But friends, the promise of God is that the reward is eternal. It is of infinite value. Infinite value. So step into it boldly. Step into it boldly. Let's pray together.